You're listening to the Asking for a Friend podcast, an elder-led ministry of Believers Baptist Church in Emory, Texas. The Asking for a Friend podcast exists as a weekly resource for the edification and knowledge of God's people. My name is Jason Rowland, and I am the senior pastor and one of the elders of Believers Baptist Church. And on the podcast with me is another of our elders, Philip Castleton. And today we are going to address the question, did Jesus go to hell? Did Jesus go to hell? And I think, Philip, there is a lot of confusion about the answer to this question and how to think about it, because it seems to be a very popular idea that for Jesus to pay the full penalty for sin, that he had to endure hell. That seems to be an idea that has come into modern Christianity that um, gives some um, sense of validity for for people that Jesus paid the full extent. And and I wouldn't believe that, and, and I think we're going to address that as we go through. Yeah, yeah to be clear, he did pay the, the full, full extent, full price, and just didn't include suffering in hell. Yes. Um, God's wrath was, uh, was spent on him on the cross, um, but the cross even then doesn't make full sense of it. Many people died on the cross and yet had to deal with their sin afterwards. Right. Right. The, the suffering, and this is why, uh, I'm going to take a detour for just a moment. Sure. But this is why movies like The Passion of the Christ and, and things like that, which um, I, I, I don't want to be too hard on them, but when we watch those kind of movies, we we tend to walk away thinking that the cross itself was God's wrath, and 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 we limit the fact that what what there was things going on spiritually and behind the scenes, God's that we couldn't see with the naked eye. What went on on the cross, you could see, right? Mm-hmm. Many people died on the cross, right? And that, um, and uh, so, but didn't exercise or weren't experiencing rather the fullness of God's wrath against sin in that moment, mm-hmm. right? right? Went on to die, go to hell, and are experiencing now God's wrath against their sin. So whatever transpired there on the cross in the person of Christ, it happened even more what couldn't be seen is is just as valid as what could have been seen, if not yes. more valid. So when Jesus says it is finished, it it was done. Right. It, he had he had dealt with it. That was before he actually um, physically expired. Right. So in that intermediate time between visibly seeing his death and visibly seeing his bodily resurrection. That's the time frame that we're talking about. What yes. happened? What happened on that, what t- typically is called Holy Saturday, mm-hmm. um, when Jesus was, in, the body was in the tomb. Now, I think that some of the confusion comes even from the Apostles' Creed. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of Protestant churches, we don't necessarily know the Apostles' Creed well. We don't necessarily repeat it. In some of the other denominations, it is uh, uh, commonplace in the worship, but there's a phrase in the Apostles' Creed that says that Jesus descended into hell, mm-hmm. and I think that that has caused confusion. Um, the The Creed, from a historical perspective, 
is not something the Apostles' Creed was not written by the Apostles, yeah. but it was written later to formulate the, uh, as a summary, the apostolic teaching. Yeah, the doctrine, the teaching of right. the Apostles. Yeah. So um, there are um, good reasons to have a, a creed, and um, certainly it is um, helpful to think about the doctrine and just try to put it in a summary form. But that particular phrase in the Apostles' Creed, Jesus descended into hell, uh, has, I think, added to the confusion sure. of what we're addressing in this question. Now, we just came out of Resurrection Sunday, and so this is the week after, and we're talking now about did Jesus go to hell. So, Philip, I know you have a text that that would help us to think about this, and it is probably uh, the common text that people would use to give validity to their thought that Jesus did actually go to hell. Right. Well, in uh, in full disclosure, um, I just got finished teaching through 1 Peter, and this text is in 1 Peter 3. I think, like I said, I think it is the text that's used to 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 garner this understanding of of, of Jesus uh, going and and it doesn't actually say he went to hell in the text. It says that he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, for they formerly didn't they disobeyed uh, when God's presence waited in the time of Noah and so forth. Um, so it is that. So in full disclosure, um, uh, and I'll say this ahead. Um, there's actually audio on sermon audio um, on this text, which might be a, a fuller. Uh, exposition, if you will, of, of this text, which would hopefully give a, a maybe a clearer understanding than what we can do in a short amount of time. Right. If that's helpful, you can look it up, uh, Sermon let, Audio. Let me be clear, that is there on Sermon Audio, which is Believer's Baptist Church, Yeah, um, that you can go on there and this is a recording of you actually teaching this text in your Sunday school class. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. And so um, some of the things we'll talk about today will be... Um, really uh, pulled from my preparation to teach that class. But that being said, yeah, the text is in um, 1 Peter 3, uh, verses 18, really through 22, is, is the text. And here's what it says. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which... Talking about in the power of the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Now, to go ahead and um, put my cards on the table, I think that that last verse in that section it is the key to understanding the section. Verse 22. Yes. Who has gone into heaven and it is at the right hand of God. With angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. What we see is that um, Christ is victorious. Right? right, he starts off this section. Christ suffered for sins. Right, if and the text leading up to this one, he's encouraging believers to remain steady. Suffering is coming. Remain steady in the suffering. Right, right, and then he starts with this text 
because even Christ suffered. And he's going to close with, and was victorious. Right. Which is the key... To understanding this text. Uh, yes. Christ suffered. He was victorious. Right. And so when we get to this hard part in the text, we're going to... I'll offer to you several options, but I think the one that makes the most sense is that Christ was preaching victory. That's what he was doing. He wasn't suffering. He wasn't dealing with sin in that moment. He was preaching victory. So um, let me give you, as we, uh, as we uh, pre, uh, approach this, four brief um, options, four interpretations of, of this that are common. Now, by the way, there is no general consensus. I read and read and read, and I read, I bet, dozens of, of interpretations of this. Most of them are so far out there that they couldn't even be considered. There were four um, that are most common. I think two of them are, are options. I think one fits the context, okay? And we'll discuss those real, uh, is, is fairly quickly. The first one, uh, and, and well, the first thing I want to say uh, if, if, for anybody listening, if you've ever listened to Alistair Begg, he often says this, let the plain things be the main things, and the main things be the plain things, right? Right. So when we come to a text like this, which Martin Luther himself said was one of the most difficult texts in all the New Testament, um, what we know for sure, verse 18, Christ suffered for sins. He did that, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, made alive in the spirit. Okay? And then he goes on to talk about, later on in verse 20 or 21, about the resurrection mm-hmm. and the fact that now he has been vindicated and he is victorious as he sits enthroned over all the principalities, powers, and authorities, right? Right. Those are the plain things. Those are the plain things. So they need to be the main things. Right. So we could, when we, that doesn't mean that what we're about to read in verses um, 19 and 20 aren't important. They right. are. They're there for they a purpose. Mm-hmm. But we we could get confused and get lost in the forest and miss the trees, right? Or get lost, whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to do that. So, but I, I am going to lay out some options. We can consider them. I'll tell you the two that I think are, are biblically tenable, and I'll tell you the one I think fits the context. From my perspective, and as I told my Sunday school class when we went through this, um, be biblical. Go home and study it for yourself and come up with the best option that you think fits the context. Not your uh, preconceived theology, but the one that fits the Scripture. Right. So here's number one. Um, I don't think this one's biblically tenable, but it says Jesus was actually preaching to the lost that died in the flood. So we, uh, those who uh, God in his judgment comes and he, and he brings the flood. This is verse 19, because they formally disobeyed when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which that a few eight persons were brought safely through the water. Okay, so I've got this picture in here of these people uh, who died in God's judgment in the flood. Right, they, 120 years, Noah had preached to them. He prepares an ark, and and they didn't believe. They didn't uh, uh, um, take advantage of, if you will, God's provision for them to avoid the flood. Right, right, and they died. Go ahead. I think that the confusion that sometimes leads to that understanding is this idea of he preached. He in which he went and proclaimed, proclaimed. In, in the English. Yes. And, and, and in Greek, it is cariso, which is yeah. preach. Yeah. But it's when we think about 
um, he went and preached. We we're thinking in terms of he went and preached evangelism, mm-hmm. um, the gospel, if you will, mm-hmm. to those in Noah's day, those who died in Noah's day, so that somehow that they were hearing the gospel. But that that wouldn't be what I understand the text to be saying in terms of what we were just talking about. He's preaching victory, not the gospel of salvation. Well, and that's why I started off with, I think that um, we have to let the section of text speak to us, right? Yes. And verse 22, the very last v- uh, verse in this thing, I think makes sense of it. Yes. We have this suffering servant, if you will, Isaiah 53, right? We have this one who came to suffer ultimately victorious. Right. He's encouraging um, um, unbelievers to stay the course in their suffering. Why? Because we have an example, one who's gone before us. Who's that example? Christ. Christ also suffered in the flesh and he was victorious. This is an encouragement to to those in the context of suffering to stay the course because victory is ours in Christ Jesus, Right. right? So that being said, we have to let all of that inform us. So yes, is he preaching the gospel? I don't think. I think he's proclaiming the the truth, the victory that was his on the cross. Um, uh, you know, the wrath dealt with assuaging uh, God's wrath for for those who are in Christ. Right. Uh, besides the fact that it would make no reasonable sense that he would just go and preach to the people of Noah's day and the, the, the gospel. If he's going to preach the gospel, it well, sure. The other issue is that there's nowhere else in the scripture, nowhere in the scripture at all that assumes a, a, a purgatory, if you will, right? Right. A second chance after it is appointed unto man once to die, then judgment. We, there's not a second chance in there. So why this would assume a second chance? If this is what he's doing, these people were, died in his judgment, but if, if he's preaching to these people the gospel, trying to offer them repentance and salvation after they've died, well, then um, Roman Catholicism, would uh, uh, their understanding of purgatory would make sense, right? Right. right. Um, there, there is no um, biblical um, substance or, or, or evidence, if you will, that would, um, that would help us to hold this as a, as a, a tenable view. Right. So let's let's look at this verse though a little better, Philip, or under a, um, a a microscopic lens, because it says that he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Yeah. Well, uh, we're going to get there. I was going to. Oh, I was, oh, okay. We're definitely I'm, getting there. Oh yeah, you're, you're doing the the. I'm uh, showing the the bad views. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I got ahead of you. Yeah. Here's the second view. Jesus preached through Noah. Okay, so this is the second view that 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 Jesus was preaching through Noah to those who would die in the flood, and and I think this is a, a, a tenable understanding. Mm-hmm. A, 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 this is possible. Yeah. Okay, and here let's. And this is why, if you go back in First Peter to, to chapter one, verse eleven, it, we see similar language. Look what it says in verse ten. Concerning the salvation. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So, so here we, we were told right off the bat that the Spirit of Christ um, was in Noah, right? Or in the prophets who came before Right, right. That's the the, the chapter one text. Yes, in the, the chapter one that he yeah. was in the prophets who came before, and they, he was preaching about the, the the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Yes. So the idea here is that that Noah was a preacher of the gospel. 
right? Mm -hmm. And so um, it is, I believe, even right to believe that the Spirit of Christ was in Noah preaching to these people. Mm -hmm. I think that is an accurate statement. But what I don't believe, and even further then, um, in Luke 4, um, he says... Uh, verses 16 through 18, he says that he came to Nazareth when he was brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up and he read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim to the good news. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed. Well, here they have the same language um, about the spirits in prison, right? So th this is another reason why I believe this is a tenable argument. Right, We have Jesus who says about himself that he fulfills the text in Isaiah who said that he was there to preach to the spirits in prison. Now, I, I actually hold the view that holds, I believe that means those who are bound by sin and, and you know, the, the, the chains of, of our attachment to Adam and, you know, so forth. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily a, a literal preaching to the spirits there, but we have the same kind of language which would say, we can understand why this view might be held by some. It's biblically argue, uh, arguable, and there's no doubt that Christ's spirit actually was at work and is at work through preachers who preach the gospel, uh -huh. right? So that's that's true. Here's another one, uh, another view. Jesus preaches to the Old Testament saints who have died and are waiting in limbo. Um, I'm not saying that th this is anywhere biblically tenable, but this was a common view. And all the things I held that a lot of people believe that Jesus went um, to all these people who had believed in Jesus um, or believed in the coming Messiah, but they hadn't actually heard the gospel proper, right? Because um, it, they, it, it wasn't fully understood. It wasn't fully known. It was a mystery to some extent to the Old Testament people, as we just saw in um Verses 10, 11, and 12 of what we, you know, chapter, chapter one. one. Um, so Jesus went to these Old Testament saints who were waiting in limbo somewhere, and he explained the gospel to them and, in essence, freed them from, from this prison or whatever. Again, nowhere in Scripture do we have that um, articulated. You know, we even have the Mount of Transfiguration where we see Old Testament saints in the presence of God. Right, right, not waiting in limbo somewhere. So that being said, I don't think that one's biblically tenable. The fourth one, the one that I'm going to bring up now, is the one that I think is is tenable. The one that I think is probably the best understood in context, and the one that has the most biblical support, I think. And that is this: that Jesus actually preaches victory over and to the fallen angels who are held in prison. Um, and I say that because we have some text in Second Peter, in Jude, in Genesis um, that all speak to um, a group of angels that have stepped out of their place, out of their role, out of their assigned um, duty, if you will. Uh, there were fallen angels, right, who had who had um, uh, had acted out, and God had chosen to. Um, reserve them, if you will, or hold them in some kind of prison, uh, some kind of chains. I, I, I don't know. I don't think literal chains can hold a spirit. I don't, mm -hmm. but, but however that is understood, they are, they are being bound and held for a future day of judgment. And I would understand, I think, and we can make sense of this as we read some of these texts, that these people probably were trying to thwart the redemption plan of God, mm -hmm. right? 
it would make sense that you've got these um, angels who have tried to thwart the redemption and God's plan of redemption satisfied, vindicated, justified, completed at the cross. And he goes between the death and the resurrection and preaches victory. It's done. You failed. I succeeded. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. This is what I, I believe. So we have texts like in 2 Peter 2, 4 and 5, it says this, For God did not spare angels when they sinned, but he cast them into hell, and he, ca- he committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. He did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others. He brought the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So here we have this picture of angels and the, the the story of Noah attached to each other. Right. Okay. In Second Peter, and he's saying that angels weren't spared; they were actually removed, if you will, and 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 held for this this future day of judgment. And then he attaches that to um, God's exercise of wrath and judgment on the people in Noah's time. We have in Jude chapter five, or Jude verse five through eight. Um, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who do not believe. Verse 6, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of that great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, served as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So here he attaches this, these angels who have out, stepped out of bounds. He actually attaches their misbehavior to that of the misbehavior and the sinful behavior of Sodom and Gomorrah in the, in the cities around them. And so there's a connection being made here that is hard to understand necessarily, uh, you know, we're limited, but it sounds as if these people didn't stay within their own bounds, their own realm. You know, they, they usurped, uh, if you will, or tried to what God had given them uh, as a, 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 an area in which to, to function. And they had tried to outstep their function, uh, their role, and had done something where they had gone in uh, unnaturally. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know that I understand that in its fullest, but he attaches it here to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah when it says that they likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural <laughs> desire. So whatever that entails, and I think Genesis 6, from my perspective, kind of answers that. Okay. Do you let's think, let's okay. think about this? Um, do you, Would you understand... The the angels that are held in prison, the spirits in prison, as Peter says in chapter three, um, could that be Hades? And and hear me out, yeah. okay? Because what what we see in paradise, uh, well, no, I mean, um, I mean Hades in the sense that there there's the the place of the dead. When you look at the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. You have the common word sheol mm-hmm. that is translated in the New Testament, the abode ha- of the dead. Yeah. The, uh, Hades. And so they both mean the abode of the dead. Mm-hmm. So that the idea would be that all dead people go to the place of the dead. Yes, and I actually do believe that. And, and, um, and, I, and I talk more about that 
in, in my Sunday school lessons, so okay. if you want to go there. But I do believe that. In fact, I call it paradise because we have the picture yes. of the rich man and Lazarus. Yeah, that's one side of it. Yeah. But it, it's, it's like a two-compartment. Yes, uh, with a division exists. in between. Yes. And actually, I do believe that because, and, and here's why. We have the articulation of him with the thief on the cross. Today, I will be with you in paradise. Right. And yet, we could see that the rich man and Lazarus could see each other. Right. In this situation, right? Right. So if that's the case, let's assume that, that, that Jesus is in, um, on, on one side of paradise. He's looking across this of divide to, if you will, these uh, fallen angels who are being held for judgment, and he's preaching to them there. Right. That would be, I mean, rightly articulated, I think that would be my view. Right. I and think. it also would include not just those angels that are held there, but it would be, include all of those who would have been condemned without faith in Noah's age and any of the ages until that point. Well, of course it would, but but, but yeah. that's just not what our text says. And that's what that's why um, I mean, our text says that he went and proclaimed to the spirits bound in prison. And I mean, so, I mean, I guess it could include those, but it says formerly in ignorance and so forth. So um, I think it would include those, at least in my thinking. And then let me give you some other texts yeah. for thinking about this, and, and I know we're in agreement, but just so the listeners can see this, this idea of Hades, this this um, place of the dead, this divided into Hades and paradise, or in Luke chapter 16 that you just referenced, he's, it's called the bosom of Abraham, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. So there's two places, um, two divisions of the same place, and Hades for example, is shown to be in Numbers chapter 16 to uh, be under the earth because we had there a passage about being swallowed, those who rebelled against Moses being swallowed alive to Sheol. Mm -hmm. Um, We have in Isaiah chapter 38, Hades pictured as a place with gates, And in Job chapter 17, verse 16, Hades being a place that has bars. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 9, it's a place where there's shadowy souls. It's a place of darkness. In Psalm 88, verse 12, um, Sheol is mentioned as a land of forgetfulness, Sheol or Hades, those being synonyms. Um, In Ecclesiastes, Hades is considered a place where there's no wisdom. So my point is that I think the thinking um, of the um, that, that, that helps us have clarity about the text is to think about this location mm-hmm. where we have Hades on one side, if you will, and paradise on the other, and Jesus going and proclaiming the victory over um, against Satan's plans to thwart the redemption story and all of those who oppose God. Sure, and I, I and that's exactly the way I believe. Right, and, and like I said, um, I, I speak of it in that in that in that Sunday school lesson as as paradise, uh, right. total. But yeah, the bosom of Abraham, this idea of uh, the abode of the dead. I actually do believe that would be the, my understanding of it, yeah. right? Because right. um, we have this articulation of him being with the thief. Um, uh, that yes. very day, and yet, how how did he get from one to the other? How did he articulate this thing? I, we don't know. We got to try to make sense of it, right? Right. So now, um, and I would believe, by the way, and um, I don't know if you would agree with me totally, but I think that Luke chapter sixteen, that parable of Lazarus and the rich man, mm-hmm. um, 
is a true story. Yeah, I don't know if I'd call it a parable. Yeah, right. I, I'm with you there. Yeah, yeah. So that that demonstrates to um, the reader and the reality of the thought in that first century about this Hades paradise uh, dichotomy. But then, what would happen when Jesus went then and proclaimed this victory? Mm-hmm. Um, as Ephesians four might lead us to think that then that's when Jesus took all the saints with him uh, to heaven, leaving hell, if you will, leaving Hades, taking captivity captive, yes, and so forth. Yeah. Yeah, it, it very well may be. Yes. Um, well, I know this though, and, and like I said, there's some there's an articulation of of um, maybe one of the ways that the angels stepped out of bounds in Genesis, if you read the Genesis account right. of Noah and and the, the sons of God and the daughters of men and so forth. Um, I, I, we don't need to get in that today. But to, 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 to articulate this idea of victory being proclaimed, Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 says this, By canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Yeah. And basically so, first Peter chapter three. Yes. I think that's exactly yeah. what he's saying. He proclaimed victory. So now if we set that and we, and we believe, okay, that's a possibility. Now, if, if you'll bear with me for just a minute, let's walk through the text mm-hmm. and see if that doesn't make sense of our, uh, in context. Right. Right. Okay. So first we have this, um, Verse 18, for Christ also suffered. Uh, uh, you know, as we've discussed earlier, this is, um, it, it's good if Christians suffer um, for righteousness' sake because it, it's evangelistic, right? It puts those to shame who would persecute them, so forth and so on. And here, specifically in verse 18, we have another reason for suffering as Christians because um, Jesus suffered, right? It's a pattern set for us in Christ. Jesus suffered while doing good and... Um, Jesus was an example of suffering for us. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return, right? He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. This is the whole argument. And if you are going to suffer as a believer, you can trust that Jesus also suffered. And if Jesus also suffered, how how did he get through it? He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. So as Persecuted believers, as suffering believers, and trust yourself to the one who judges justly. Which, right? Well, yes. Let me just add this parenthesis that that makes sense of all of those trial texts that we see of Jesus before Pilate and Ananias and Caiaphas and all of that. Right. Absolutely. So here we have Jesus setting a standard, or, or he's establishing a pattern that those who are in Christ should follow. Our attitude, our humility, in suffering for righteousness' sake, uh, the maintaining of and the pursuit of what is good in the face of suffering, all of these things attached to Christ's suffering, right? And then it says he died for Christ suffered once for sins. Now, we could get really into this. In my Sunday school lesson, I, I spend a lot of time you know, expounding every line and, and trying to deal with this. And, and, and for the sake of time today, we're not going to. But here he's talking about, in Hebrews 10, the righteous for the unrighteous. Isaiah 53, right? Um, the suffering servant and, and how um, imputed righteousness is, is ours because of the suffering of Christ. So this suffering actually led to death for Christ. When he says here that Christ also suffered, he's talking about suffering unto death. Because the next thing he says is, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. 
right? right. It wasn't that he just got a bad a couple of bad days um, offered up. You know, he he was he he died. Right. So his body. What we're talking about in the context of all this, mm-hmm. his body is in the tomb. His spirit is actually doing the proclaiming of victory. Yes. Yes. And that's what he's going to say in a minute, that, yes. that, that, that his spirit is still alive. Though his body, physical body has died, his spiritual, his, his, his spirit is still living. Yes. Right. And therefore, and in the power of that spirit, he went and proclaimed. But we go on through the, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And, and here he closed this gap. He removed the veil, right? He's our high priest. We could go on and on. Like I said, um, if you want to hear more about that, go to the Sunday school lesson, but being put to death in the flesh, but it says made alive in the spirit. And that's a misunderstanding of, of the text. He, his spirit was never anything but alive. Right. So it's not that he died and his spirit was made alive. What it's saying is he, he, he was, he died in the flesh, but his spirit didn't cease, right? right? His spirit didn't die. So in, in verse 19, in the spirit, he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Because they formerly disobeyed when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were safely brought through water. And then he ties this directly to our union with Christ. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Right? Another difficult text. We've actually dealt with this text before in another podcast. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, is, does salvation save? And the answer is yes. Now, what no, do we, we don't, mean? Does baptism? I mean, save? yeah. What do, does baptism save? And the answer is yes. Yes. But how, what do we mean by that? Right. Does getting wet save? The answer is no. no. Um, how is baptism saved? By our union to Christ, and by the way, our union to Christ in His suffering, which He just went back to and referenced. Yes. Our union to His death, and what He's going to say in a minute. And to his resurrection. Romans 6, 1 through 11 uh, spells this out. We are saved by being baptized into Christ. Nothing to do with getting wet. Paul, in fact, Peter's going to say in just a minute, it's not the removal of dirt from the body. He's trying to make clear it's not the dunking that does the trick. Mm -hmm. The, The spiritual reality that is accomplished in Christ's death and resurrection. And our attachment to him in his death and his resurrection, that is how we are justified before God. And the, the, the picture that is, that is evidenced in our being dunked down in the water and resurrected, that is, that is a, a, a physical manifestation of a spiritual reality. Right. And so the getting wet doesn't save, but our baptism into Christ does. And so he goes on to explain this. Um, like I said, he even talked, and we could make more sense of that if we wanted to spend time in Colossians and talk about physical circumcision and spiritual circumcision and the distinction between those things and so forth. But he goes on to say, uh, to be clear, not as a removal of dirt from the body, right? But as an appeal to God for a good conscience. And so, um, and and uh, like I said, he, he goes on here and I could explain all this I'm, for the sake of time. I don't want to spend a lot of time because I, I, I could honestly spend an hour or just on, on the exposition here. Right. But it says that then, he, then we get here to the verse 22 and I think this will make sense of it all. Who 
has gone into heaven and is at right hand of God with angels, authorities, powers have been subjected to him. So I think the argument from, from beginning to end is Christ suffered. You suffered, uh, you're identified with Christ, you're identified into his suffering. You need an example of how to live in the context of suffering. It's Christ. And you need to know, if you follow this through, Christ suffered. He was vindicated in the resurrection, but more importantly, in between that time of his death and his resurrection, he knew he, had, he was victorious. And he went to the abode of the dead, wherever these angels were, and he proclaimed that victory to them. And we know this is true because he has gone now, verse 22, after the resurrection into heaven and is at the right hand of God with authorities, angels, powers subjected to him. Right. He is king of kings, lord of lords, Power of powers, authority of authorities, right? right? He is the ruler of all things. And um, and so the, what he's trying to communicate from verse 18 to verse 22 is stay the course, right. believers, stay the course. Like I said, this little verse 18 and 19 is confusion um, if we're not careful it can be confusing because we can let it become the main passage or part of the text. But the main part of the text is you're suffering. Christ suffered and he is victorious. So know that just as Christ suffered and is victorious, you too, there's victory ahead. Suffering leads to and is the, the if you will, the vehicle that will deliver you unto glory and authority and, and, you know, uh, victory, if you will. Right. So that's the communication of the text. This part in the middle is just a sidebar that says he was so victorious, in fact, that even in between his death and his resurrection, he was preaching that victory to right. the authorities and demons that had tried to thwart his plan. Right. So then one of the, the other side implications besides what you have just um, articulated, which is the point of the text, we once again have the reality of the resurrection because Jesus did experience death as a human, just like any human. He did experience the separation of his body from his soul or spirit. Wouldn't you say soul and spirit are synonyms? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah I'm not. I don't know that I can articulate or would want to try to this this trichotomy thing right. that people do. I, I, right. I don't think right. that. Yeah. So my point is that he he experienced what all humans experience. That is that their body goes into um, a state of burial, and their spirit, their soul, goes into. If you're a believer, uh, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Right. right? So Jesus did experience that to its fullest extent as well. Um, he, and so by doing that, then we, the difference is his body did not go undergo decay like our bodies will. Mm -hmm. When you die, when I die, Philip, our body will undergo decay and Jesus's did not. We know that from Psalm 16. Yeah. Verse 10, it speaks to that as well. But the point being, um, that Jesus going and preaching that victory, proclaiming that victory in his body without decay, it again points us back to this resurrection, this full bodily resurrection that is the pivotal truth of our faith. 
Absolutely. In fact, go back if you if 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 you really want to to hear more about this. Go back and listen because everything that he says about this dying once the righteous for the unrighteous and delivering us to God and all of this all of this stuff he says is really important in the context of this argument because he didn't just suffer. I mean, he accomplished something in all of this suffering. Yes. So when he's when he's standing preaching victory, he's not just saying nanny boo-boo, right? right? He's saying, no, what you, what you tried to thwart, I did. I supplied righteousness right. to my people, right? right. I, I dealt with their sins. I took the wrath of God. I actually closed the gap between man and God. I tore the veil. I became the bridge. I am the place. I am the tent of meeting. I am the tabernacle place. I'm the place where man and God meet. I am it. These, So he can explain all of this. And, and that's what the text does for right. us. It says all of these important things and says, and he proclaimed that victory to these people, and then he went into uh, heaven, sits at the right hand of God, and has made evident everything he proclaimed as he sits there, and all those things are subjected to him. Amen. That's the picture. Yes. And if we don't get that, then the middle's not going to make any sense. If we understand the first, we understand the end, then, then we can say, okay, what makes sense in the middle? Take all the arguments that you want. And um, if you find another one that makes sense, um, please let us know what it is. But this is the only one I think that makes sense of this that we have biblical argumentation for. Right. Yeah. And so you and I, um, all those who are in Christ, the good news is that now we bypass um, the land of forgetfulness. We bypass this, the place of the shadows. We, we bypass all of the uh, separation from God, and we go right into the presence of God um, with all the angelic choir, with, with the um, saints of old, yes. and we enjoy uh, the paradise, yeah. uh, the heaven. Fellowship, yes, yeah, forever. With, with God forever. So the Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. And uh, we are recipients of his good grace to us by faith. Amen. So thank you all for listening uh, to the podcast. Um, this, um, we're, we're actually recording this morning. So whenever you're listening and wherever you are and whoever you are, thank you for listening and taking the time. Uh, again, we always appreciate any ratings or reviews or shares. If you think this podcast is helpful and it has blessed you, then um, we certainly would encourage and be um blessed if you would pass the uh, podcast on and may the Lord bless you. Amen.